Hello and welcome to the third edition of the Laker Side Chats. I'm your host, Alan Ramich, and we have a fantastic guest with us today. He is what I would describe as Laker Twitter royalty. He is editor-in-chief at Silver Screen and Roll. He used to be on my favourite Laker podcast, Locked on Lakers. He wears a fedora. <laughs> a lot of things. Mr. Harrison Fagan, welcome to the show. I appreciate the intro. Thank you for having me. Um, I don't, I royalty. I don't know if I can agree with the fedora thing is true, but only when I record podcasts. Um, I actually, I, I got it on right now just so that this will be a good podcast. It's my podcasting fedora so that I can feel like, you know, like the Lakers gave them out at a game earlier this year. And it makes me feel like, like an actual, like old timey journalist. You know what I'm talking about? Like back in like the thirties and forties, all the movies they're wearing like fedoras with like a press card clipped in it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I wear it when I podcast, I put on my journalism some hat and i'm ready to go well just just to um just to add uh, everyone who knows you on twitter apart from the trolls obviously they all think you're like a twitter royalty and alongside you raj who i had on in the second episode and jabari davis i've had some three pretty good guests on i'd say yeah actually that is like a, a jabari and raj are great so um that that actually is like a solid guest list that you're building up here Oh, it's, it's something that I pride myself on. Get people who actually know what they're talking about with the Lakers and not someone like Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> but I, I, I just, I just... The, the, the Lakers, what an amazing reality TV show we are. That, that's what I say about the Lakers. And nothing sums this more than Magic Johnson the past couple of days. And he has been subtweeting and... It has been amazing. Dumpster fire amazing, but amazing nevertheless. Yeah, I was... What of it all? So I was actually, I was, I was telling you this off the air, but I'll tell this story again. I was uh, I was talking to a friend of my, or a professor of mine, and he was at a dinner the other night, and he was asking me uh, if my fiance was into the Lakers before we got together. And I was like, no, but ironically, she's like more interested now just because they're close. She, she likes like reality TV, like trashy, like uh, like reality TV type stuff. And now that this team is basically that, she loves, uh, she loves paying attention to them and all of a sudden wants to hear about my updates on the team. Um, the magic stuff was kind of incredible the other morning. For those of you that missed it, I think he tweeted like the truth will come out at some point or the truth always comes out or it was something like that. Um, and right after he tweeted it, he just went right into like, well, the NFL draft is tonight and I'm really excited to watch it. And then like, we're going to have a great Eastern Conference semifinals and like all the things that he couldn't tweet when he was president of basketball operations that he was so excited to get back to tweeting again that he quit his job. Um, and so... Like, it was just, like, astounding how he went from, you know, subtweeting to just right back into his normal Twitter usage. And then we had Jeannie that morning retweeting the video of, like, LeBron calling the, uh, calling, you know, the rumors that him in the front office were having Discord, like, fake news. And then you had her re-Instagram it. And it's just, like, you know, it's basically, uh, like, the people who were the who were and are the Lakers brain trust just acting like, uh, like you know, dramatic high schoolers online. And, you know, it, 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 like I said, from a reality entertainment standpoint, it's amazing from a basketball ops and optics point of view, trying to get a max free agent to sign. Not so much. No. Yeah. It's it just it does not look functional here, which is why I question. Well, I'm sure we'll get into this, but like why? Like people ask me, you know, who don't you think so and so will come or don't you think so and so will come? And I'm like, I, I don't know why they'd want to be here. I don't I, I genuinely don't beyond like 
starring in Space Jam 2 and the option to do that. I, I just, to me, I don't get it. So, uh, like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, it's going to be an interesting summer, but I am not super optimistic about the way that it will turn out. Well, I'm, I'm the most optimistic person in this world, and I, I genuinely... As, as daft as it sounds, I, I, I wanted Magic Johnson to work out, and I thought he would. And then once I saw he signed Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, and Michael Beasley, I was like, not so much. You, yeah, you... I mean, what you what you have to hope is that that was Magic that did that. Because then it's like, okay, well, maybe Polinka will be good. And so you have to kind of look at all the bad signings and be like, hopefully those were Magic. And then look at the good stuff and be like, all right, I'm I'm going to take a guess that that's Polinka. Like, if you want to be optimistic, you at least have that re- that way that you can, like, come up with cognitive dissonance so that keeping the last GM isn't just, like, throwing in the towel, that maybe this guy was being held back. And, you know, based on reports and, you know, what you hear about Magic Johnson's work ethic and decision-making and things like that, like, you know, I wouldn't... It, it wouldn't be the most unfor- uh, it wouldn't be the most astounding outcome if it turned out that Rob Polinka was being held back by basically having to do two jobs. Um, so you know it's possible that things work out and that Rob Polinka is really good at his job, but all the reports of like and the stuff you hear about just like he doesn't seem to be very well liked league wide or even you know by some people like are, are, that are around the team. And then you know you hear some stuff from other people that do like him and do think highly of him. So like it's a mixed bag. But it seems like there's a lot more people that don't think super highly of him. You know, I've seen one person speak highly of him. That's Woj, and we all know why Woj thinks highly of him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna no comment that one because <laughs> he blocked Anthony Irwin, didn't he on Twitter? Has he unblocked him yet? Uh, I don't know. I'd actually, I'd have to ask Anthony about that. I'm actually kind of like, I, I wonder what Anthony could have even done to earn that block. I have no doubt that he earned it because it's, you know, it's <laughs> Anthony, but, um, you know, like I, I just, he, it's not like he's a guy that tweets like mean things at reporters or anything like that. Like he has his faults on Twitter and, you know, I will be the first one to point them out. Um, and sometimes his takes are too reactionary. And, um, but like, it, as far as, you know, like going after media members. So that's, that's not really in his bag of tricks. And so I, I don't know. I was really surprised. That, but it's hilarious uh, when I found that out that he was blocked by Woj. So like he only gets to see Woj tweets when we throw them in our slack. He's like, he's like, he's like, why is everybody saying da 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 da? And then like, we'll throw something in the post channel in our slack. And he's like, oh, okay. Woj tweeted. <laughs> well, Woj, while being a fantastic breaking news reporter, he obviously relies on sources a lot, and it's it's really obvious and really clear who who he has sources with and who he hasn't based on the articles that he writes. So I feel like Woj realizes he now has an open line of communication with the Lakers, and is pushing for Rob Palinka to keep that because the Lakers, like we said, even with the with even with us being a dumpster fire, we're still the most entertaining team in the NBA. It's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's totally possible. Um, you know, I, I think any reporter would want to keep their line of communication open with the team, and so if there's an open flow of information there, like that's uh, that's understandable. Although, you know, it, it, it using your platform to, you know, stump for that is a different thing. And I'm not saying that that's what he's doing. Um, I'm just saying that just in generalities, like, you know, I, that's not something that I would personally do. But like I said, fantastic at what he does as a no. Yeah, he's, he's the goat of breaking news. Like it's it, there's no disputing it. Like I I think that 
it was fairly clear from a lot of the reporting around the trade deadline that more of his information was coming from outside of the team, whereas the L.A. Times people were getting more from the Lakers. And so it's like but uh, the thing, the part that I didn't agree with and now we're going like way off track, but the part that I, I didn't think was the most rational from a lot of like Lakers Twitter was like to act like, okay, well, the LA times is reliable because it's coming from the Lakers when like, you know, I, I at least some of that was coming from new Orleans. Like I, I, I think Brad Turner has talked on a podcast about how, um, Del Demps was helpful to him and was willing to take his calls during this and things like that. But like the, the idea that like, okay, well this is from the Lakers. So it must be the truth. Like that's not what journalism is necessarily for. Like people don't always tell you the truth. Like that's why you have to go to multiple parties and try and figure out like, like what are more people saying and then try and gather the truth based on that. Or what are the people that, you know, you trust saying, but like to say like, okay, well the team said this, or this is probably coming from the team. So it must be gospel. I don't know that I agree with that because you know, the team is not always going to tell you the truth either. Like no one always tells you the truth in this. No. And that's the thing, especially with trade negotiations. I know we've gone off, a bit, gone off topic a bit here, but why yeah. not? It was such a big part of the season though, in general, Basically, this I believe this was one uh, alongside LeBron getting injured. This was the biggest thing that broke our season. Yeah, no, it was uh, those two things, and, and that those like if those if both of those things hadn't happened at nearly the same time, where LeBron was trying to trade half the team while he was hurt, I think the Lakers still maybe make the playoffs this year. They at least have a much closer shot at it. Um, but it was that, like that's too much for any team to survive. It, it was like sure you can criticize them for not assembling shooters on the roster, but even as flawed as this roster was, without the injuries and the trade stuff, I think they still would have made the playoffs. I feel like we would have been, especially when once you get LeBron in the playoffs, you, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, um, no, it's like it, having the best player on the floor, like fully activating too. Like he, he clearly wasn't able to do it right when he came back from the groin injury. But it, we've seen how much of a wrecking ball he can be. He's, as much as people like try and make jokes, you know, LeBron the GM this that and the other he's he's unreal and we should we should be thankful that we got him here obviously we need to put a supporting cast around him now that makes sense for him as a basketball player and not just put the oddballs next to him but you know baby steps at least we got LeBron yeah, uh, no, I, and like, hey, uh, like the front office deserves some level of credit for that. Uh, they, they just now they have to put, like you said, a competent team around him and a team that makes sense. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about the coaching search. And so I, I think that that is a compelling reason to hire Ty Lue to me, which is why he would be out of like the three main guys. I'm not really going to count Jason Kidd as a real candidate yet. Um and uh, but out of him, Jawan Howard and Monty Williams, that's why Lou makes the most sense to me, because he's a guy that like you have this proven ability to put an offense around LeBron James and have it be effective. And like before this year, we all would have said, well, you have LeBron. That's a given. Of course, you're going to have a top five offense or a really effective offense. But we saw this year that, you know, if you don't have great spacing principles in your offense and you don't have great shooters, then it's a recipe for design. not even LeBron can fully overcome that. And so, like, he'll get his numbers, but the team is not going to be as effective as a whole if you don't have these complementary pieces to take advantage of, you know, the stress that LeBron places on a defense. Absolutely. And before we do get onto the head coaching search, I just want to talk about the front office a little bit more. Sure, yeah, yeah. And we basically have two little fingers now running the office, which is not what I thought would happen. 
<laughs> who who is your so, so actually just so that we're being we're being clear, who are your two little fingers now? Uh, Rob, I have a feeling I know who one is. Rob is one of them. Uh, Kurt Rambis is the other. Rob did it throughout the season, though. I feel like he filled a vacuum as Anthony Irwin has yeah, said. Yeah, see, I, I don't know that we can say that Kurt Rambis... Kurt Rambis, I don't think is it's fair to compare him to Littlefinger because he just kind of fell upwards. Like, this was not <laughs> a plan. You know, he wasn't like Chaos's ladder, and he was like... Unless Kurt Rambis is more far more of a genius than he's generally given credit for, uh, Kurt Rambis just kind of, like, fell upwards into this. He looked into it. <laughs> or, or Linda's the, like, the master... She she's basically you've not watched the end game yet, have you, or have you? No, I have, I have. So if you wanna I mean we should give a spoiler warning if we're gonna give spoilers, but um yeah. I've spoiler seen. spoiler um unless Linda Rambis, Rambis is like Thanos and she organized everything without planning her demise like Thanos did, obviously. He didn't plan yeah. his demise. They really looked into this situation right now. It was very, very lucky. And while he, I, I don't know, I, you, you, like you said, you, you're never so sure with Kurt Rambis. I feel like Linda was waiting for the right opportunity to put him, put her husband in, which was fair. Well, it was like, that was something, it was something that went overlooked last year. Like in the middle of the year, I remember it was something that the silver screen roll Slack was freaking out about when they um, put up like that store, when they put out that press release, just like, I think it was on, I think it was even a Friday afternoon news dump. If I remember correctly, it was like, it, it was like late in the afternoon. They're just like, Oh yeah, by the way, Kurt Rambis is a special basketball advisor now. Like, most of Lakers Twitter was kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, most fans, I think, were like, all right, whatever. Like, Rambus is back. He's He doesn't have a lot of power. But, like, I, I remember, uh, you know, especially uh, Christian Rivas. I hope he doesn't mind me uh, name-dropping him on here. But he was, like, treating this almost like Kurt Rambus had just been elected vice president. And he was now, like, one heartbeat away from real power. And it turns out that, that came to pass. Like, nobody thought that Magic Johnson was going to to like you know step down this quickly like i think some of us might have thought that this was in the cards at some point in the next couple of years if things didn't go well because they weren't going to fire him but maybe he would step down if it just to avoid tarnishing his legacy if this wasn't going well but like for him to step down before the last game of the season and just like this and then them to have this giant power vacuum that they're apparently just like like it, it's it's really a sophie's choice because there was that you know like I don't know if I really want to call it a report from Bill Plaschke in the LA Times because he's not – what I've been telling people is he's not traditionally a newsbreaker. And so I want to wait to hear it from somebody who's like normally breaking news on this team. But like let's just say hypothetically that this is actually true and their plan is to either make him assistant GM or uh, the lead assistant coach. Like I don't know. What would you rather have him be? Like where do you feel like is better off for the Lakers? Like if you're if you're having to employ Rambis in one of those positions, like where would you put him? Personally, we've seen him suck as an assistant coach or a head coach or any type of coach. At least, like you said before we went on air, at least we haven't seen him fail as a as an executive yet. So Which is like that's like the worst reason to have optimism is like you're like, well, they haven't screwed this up yet. Like, I don't know. It's just the the whole way that they're doing this, it could work out. I'm not the guy, kind of guy that's gonna say because it's a bad process and that there's no chance it works out. It could work out, but it's just I, I don't think that that seems like the most they aren't doing the things that would make you think that they're most likely to make all this work out. Well, my biggest hot take is that Palinka and Rambis and they and Genie to an extent, they're making Mitch and Jim in their final years seem competent. 
Oh man, that is that is a spicy take. I I, I appreciate that actually. I'm like I'm I'm, I'm gonna wait for um I, I I eagerly await the day that Anthony starts openly pining for um you know Mitch and Jim on the podcast. But you know I'm not going to say because they obviously had their flaws and they they're like the Luol Deng contract and Timofey Mozgov contracts. Those were indefensible considering what their plan had been prior and it was very clear that they felt rushed and like they felt under the gun and they had to do whatever they could to make the playoffs and this was really their only chance. They needed to sign someone and, you know, whatever. And so they tried that. But outside of that, like those two moves, which again were indefensible, they deserve to be let go. I'm not completely defending them, but like there was a certain professionalism to that front office, especially I think most of that probably came from Mitch, but just to the way of like, we aren't going to constantly be leaking things like in the media about each other and all of this and constantly having these wars through the pe- press for power and seeing who can make who look bad so that they look better by comparison and whatever. There was just like there was a lot less drama and just craziness going on, whereas now it feels like we get a couple leaks a week about and part of that is just because things are more dysfunctional right now. So everybody's trying to push the blame off of their plate. And, you know, talk crap on everyone else. But it's just there was a certain level of like buttoned upness to that front office that I think fans probably miss on some level, even if they don't miss Mitch and Jim and they don't necessarily put that like Mitch and Jim did this. I miss that. They probably do miss on some level when uh, there weren't leaks about this team that made them look bad every, you know, every week. And so, like, I, I don't know. I think this this front office has a lot of work to do obviously in building out the roster but they also need to do a better job of narrative control because right now especially with the not really talking since magic johnson stepped down not even really pushing out through leaks what their plan is and maybe they have reasons for that but by not doing that you're letting everyone else and you're letting like your plashkies your whoever else fill the void with speculation about what your plan is and so most of the time if that's not right or if it's negative then but that's all fans have to hear right now and so of course they're going to be upset and, you know, I think that they have a lot of work to do in those two areas. Well, my biggest thing is going back to Palinka. Yeah. I feel like if we had Magic and Mitch, when we were discussing for Anthony Davis, I know the Pelicans hated us. I know there was a vendetta with Gail Benson. I feel like Mitch was well-respected enough around the entire NBA where he could have called Del Demps up and went, look, we don't, wanna, we don't want anyone to lose here. This has happened. It's something that's unavoidable in the modern NBA. Let's try and make the best for both sides. And I feel like instead of going in like, hey, give us your star, like you lost suckers. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like show some. And I'm not saying that they for sure didn't do this because obviously Del Demps, like we've heard reporting that he was willing to take Magic's calls. But how much of that was just to convince Magic to offer the whole team kind of put his hand over the receiver and laugh and then like leak it to Woj right away. Um, you know, we don't know how much of it was just for that, but like, I, 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 I absolutely agree with you. I feel like Mitch was like well-liked and respected enough around the league. And the, the other way, like, even if it wasn't Mitch, whoever the GM was, the way to approach that is not to start throwing the whole team and be like, you know, like we're going to throw our whole roster at you because you have to give us Anthony Davis. We're, we're the Lakers. He wants to be here. This is happening. What you, ha- what you got to do in a situation like that is exactly what you said. You go to them and you're like, look, I understand that this is, that this is crappy for you. I'm sorry that this is happening. 
I, I understand that he wants to come to our team. If you're ready to have a dialogue about a trade, we would like to work out a deal that works best for both of us. If you're not ready at this point, then, you know, like, w then we can deal with this later. But I just want you to understand, like, this is not personal. We just want to find something that works out for both of us. And, you know, maybe they did that, but it, based on the tenor of the negotiations and how contentious and awful they were through the media, it does not sound like things were that functional. And, like, there was that bridge kind of broached of just like hey like let's try and find something that works out for both of us and let's uh let's work this isn't a situation that we would want you to be put in this isn't a situation because it's not a situation that i want to be put in but let's work together and make it a win-win i don't know if you've what if you watch nba open court where they have different coaches front i do sometimes i've watched it before yeah uh, there was one just so it's the summer when indiana traded for Traded Paul George for Oladipo and Sabonis, amongst other things. Yeah. And uh, is Bruce Pritchard, Kevin Pritchard? Kevin the, Pritchard. Uh, Kevin Pritchard. Uh, the, front, the leading front office executive, Indiana. He just talks about how cordial and how nice it was. It wasn't nice to lose Paul George, obviously, but how OKC treated it as if it was a fair negotiation, how they didn't want either side to lose. They just wanted to get the negotiations over with as quickly as possible and move on. And that's one of the things that, like, all fans, you know, obviously you want your team to pull off a trade like the Celtics did for um, for the old guys when they traded Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And, you know, they, they fleece the Nets. As a fan, obviously you want a deal that's way uneven for your side. But as a GM, like, you want to have deal. You don't necessarily want to fleece the other team. Like, that would be great if that worked out for you. But you don't go into it with, like, I'm going to try and trick these guys. Because it's a whole network. It, like, it's a relationship that's built on trust. Like, if something inadvertently works out so that you wildly win a trade, obviously that's great. And obviously on some level, you're both making, like, a bet that your side of the deal is going to work out better. Like, that's understood. But, like, to go into the negotiate, like, you can't go into the negotiations in bad faith and be like, we are going to absolutely gut you and we have you over a barrel and all this because, you know, sure, that may work that time, but other people around the league are not going to appreciate that. And I think that that's why you see a lot of dislike for Palinka was people were talking about, I think Ramona was talking about, uh, like, on, it was either on the radio or it was on the jump uh, about, like, how Palinka, she was talking to his former clients and they were like, that guy does whatever it takes. Like, he's the, the Avengers or something. Uh, you know, he does whatever it takes to get the best deal for you. And that's great when you're an agent because you're constantly in situations where you're trying to win a negotiation and it is a little bit more hostile, even if you has to have to keep it somewhat cordial. But when there's only like there's a lot of agents to deal with and a lot of players in the league and that stuff cycles constantly. You know, when when you're a GM, there's only 29 of those other jobs. You you can't be trying to, you know hold people over a barrel constantly and constantly try and fleece them. Like you have to go into it with the idea of like, Hey, like let's try and make this a win-win. How can we both improve our teams? And I've, as again, like you said earlier, we have no idea whether Palink is actually competent at his job or not. That's the only thing we can hope for now. And I hope because Kurt Rambis, while he's failed and not been great and liked butt pics on Twitter amongst other things, <laughs> he doesn't have a bad person. He seems yeah, okay. I yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he at the very least, hasn't pissed off other executives yet. So maybe this is like, uh, maybe everybody likes Kurt Rambis. And this is, uh, you know, they're going to put him in the front office because he has an ability to get anybody on the phone. I think that's what you have to hope for if you're a Lakers fan. Because otherwise, this does not look great. Yeah, it, 
it's completely different to the feeling I felt 12 months ago. 12 months ago, I was confident. I have no idea why. It turned out to be true. We got LeBron James, and it was great. And it's amazing how you go from getting the best player arguably ever to in a matter of seven, eight months, you're feeling this type of dejection about your team and you have no idea where the franchise is going to go or any real direction. Or it's no crazy how quickly things have flipped in a year, like less than a year from the unbridled, like the league is ours again, suckers, like that was the collective like Lakers Twitter mood from July 1st until like basically the end of that that month. Um, to where we are now, where like Lakers fans are like, you can't hurt us worse than our team has. So make all the jokes you want. <laughs> the worst thing is it's so true. I, yeah. I get text no, it's absolutely true. It's like, hey, you could try to roast us, but just know that you can't do anything worse than signing Rondo Beasley and Lance Stevenson to, to play with LeBron James. There is no more hurtful joke than you can make them that, that you can make than that. Or playing Rondo 38 minutes a night while you have Alex Caruso languishing in the G League. That's always yeah. great. Yep. You know, it, we, we've been a... It's crazy. But at least the positives are for Rondo. He'll probably get a max extension from the Sacramento Kings. You know, so positives there. <laughs> yeah, Luke's gonna, that's where that's where Luke's going to throw his weight around, you know, provided he's still, you know, obviously around there, given how much he liked Rondo, is to uh, get him a deal there. Well, speaking of Luke, it's a nice segue to our next topic, which is the head coaching search. We touched on it a little bit. You started talking about Ty Lue. So obviously you think out of the three that have been primarily mentioned, excluding Jason Kidd, because I don't even want to think about that right now. I think that would break me. Which one do you think will be, which one would you like to be the head coach? So I think, you know, on the Jason Kidd thing, there was a point earlier this year when based on the stuff that I was hearing, I actually was I would have been shocked if it wasn't Jason Kidd. I my sense based on how like the you know what you hear has changed since Magic stepped down uh, like was that Jason Kidd was a guy that Magic had interest in. Uh, I don't know that again. I Like again, this is just me speculating based on what you hear. Um, but like the fact that we were getting all these like leaks and we were hearing all these things about Jason Kidd and then Magic stepped down and all of a sudden Jason Kidd isn't really being considered as a real option. Like that makes me think that it was more of like Magic was pushing that. And so I don't think it'll be him. As far as who I'd want, I think uh, it would be Ty Lue just for the ability to put the proven offense around LeBron. I'm not sure. Monty Williams is obviously a very well guy the thing that always gives me pause when a lot of plugged in people are talking about how promising a coaching candidate is like you know your your standard your newsbreakers whoever are talking about how promising a coaching candidate is is sure maybe they've heard that from people maybe they think that themselves but a lot of the time that seems to be based on this guy is really nice and i like him so obviously of course he'll be a good coach and you know i I'm not sure how accurate it always is. And based on what we've seen of Monty Williams's resume, it is not something that jumps out to me as like, you have to hire this guy over the other options available. Like I would honestly probably rather just if it's me based on, you know, obviously I'm not in these interviews, so I don't know what these guys are saying and how impressive they are and what their plans are. But just from the outside, I would go Lou because, you know, he's proven that he can coach a LeBron team effectively and build an offense around him that works. Uh, and then I would honestly put Howard above Williams just because we haven't seen him underwhelm as a head coach yet. Whereas, like, Williams we have seen, you know, as a flawed head coach. I remember uh, 
I'm going to butcher this name probably, but I think it was Haralabob uh, Vulgaris was he was he was the sports gambler. I don't know if you were if you follow him on Twitter or were yeah, around. Think, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He was a very outspoken critic when he was, you know, he when he was a lot more online a couple of years ago of Monty Williams. And he was a smart guy who was constantly trying to find market inefficiencies to bet against the team. Um, and he was a guy that, uh, if I remember correctly, harped on Monty Williams a lot. And that kind of affected my opinion of him because I think uh, Haralabob is very smart. He works for the Mavericks now, so he doesn't get to tweet mean things about head coaches anymore. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. Just for that reason, for the fact that the Pelicans were... You know, they they never received a whole lot of credit for how hard they played or how, you know, how much they overachieved. And those are the types of things that you look for in a head, where like a head coach is exerting their influence. And I just don't know that Monty Williams is that guy. And I was writing about this this morning. The Lakers have to get this hire right, because this is probably the last hire that they're going to make during the LeBron era, because unless things go horrendously wrong you're not going to hire another new head coach in the next you know next year and then you're going into the final guaranteed of lebron's uh, the final guaranteed year of lebron's deal and you don't know if he's coming back after that so you know i I don't know i i just for me i i think they really need to get this right and i think you kind of have to go it's like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush and you have to go uh, to me it would make more sense to go with the guy that you already know can coach lebron james you already know that lebron james respects and you already know can put a good offense around him and so that's why i'd go with ty Lue. the only thing is with monty williams my biggest red flag with monty is greg popovich is really close with him and greg popovich loves giving coaching roles to all of his friends why did he never get... I know he was VP of Basketball Ops in the, at the Spurs, but he was never... Since he got fired from the Pelicans, he was never a part of the Spurs coaching staff. And I found that always really weird, considering how well, high Popovich is on him. My understanding of that was it was more of they wanted to give him experience on the front office. It wasn't like they didn't think that he could coach. It sounded oh, okay. like it was more of a thing where he wanted to get the experience of being in the front office and see if that was a path that he wanted to pursue instead of coaching. And then the fact that he took the lead assistant job in Philadelphia would seem to imply that he decided that coaching was more for him and that he was going to get a greater, bigger opportunity there than he could get because the Spurs already have a lead assistant in uh, Ettore Messina. And so, like, he wasn't going to get that opportunity with the Spurs right away. So, I, I don't know. To me, that I think that makes sense. Like, he was the lead assistant in OKC as well. And, like, they have a pretty competent front office, like, that is seems to be good evaluators of, you know, that kind of process stuff. And so... You know, I I don't think I'm I wouldn't you know I, I obviously am not going to go ranting on Twitter about how stupid the Lakers are if they hire Monty Williams. I think that there's a chance it works out. I just think that there are better options. My biggest thing, whoever it is, like Luke Walton needed, like every good coach in the NBA, Greg Popovich has arguably the best stuff in the NBA, and he's the best coach in the NBA. You know, it's you always yeah, so, I, I doubt stuff. that's a coincidence. You always need an A-plus staff around you. and Yeah, you do. All these guys do because there's so much that goes into coaching that, like, we don't see on a day-to-day basis. We see rotations, minutes distributions, offensive system, whatever, like, defensive system, whatever. We see those in the games. There's so much other stuff that goes into it, and you have to have, A, people that know what they're doing and people that work really hard and people that you aren't 
you aren't afraid of them calling you out or them disagreeing with you. And it seems like that's the most effective thing that Popovich has done. Like that's not, you know, obviously running a blog is not the same as coaching, but that's, I think in across industries, that's something that you need is you need to cultivate a place where even if you are technically someone superior, they feel comfortable to disagree with you because no one is right. A hundred percent of the time, we all have to be pushed to figure out where our blind spots are and where, you know, what of something that we might be wrong on or different ways to think about things. And it seems like that's the best thing that Popovich has done there is just create this marketplace of ideas where they can all kind of put their opinions to the forefront, honestly disagree with each other and then come up with whatever they decide the best option is based on like that deliberation. It's it's something that every coaching staff should strive for anyway. Yeah. Get as many smart people in the room as possible, and then hope that you figure it out. Because usually the case is, as we see with most good most good coaching staffs in the NBA, if you do get a ton of these guys together, nine times out of ten they do figure it out, and yep. they they put it together for the common cause. And Ty Lu, while while he mentioned all them points and my in my opinion are the most important points. He's also a former Laker, and Jeannie Bus will love that. Well, that might be the most important point to the front office. It's, it's, it's why Sasha Vujicic is getting a one-year minimum in the summer. Hey, hey man, if if they want to bring back the machine, I'm not going to fight them on that. Like that is, I will I will give them an A plus off-season grade if they if they re-sign Sasha Vujicic. As long as he brings his adverts back with him, I'll be happy. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, you know, they need shooters around LeBron, okay? So, you, you know, you have a guy that his name is literally the machine because he's automatic. And, you know, you clearly need, like, uh, you need veteran presences and guys that know how to win, guys that are can make their clutch free throws. Like, I don't know. I, I think that Sasha I think that Sasha could teach LeBron a lot. The worst thing is, I genuinely think he probably would have been one of our better shooters last year, if not our best shooter. I know. We saw him, like, completely, like, in all seriousness, we saw him, like, flame out in the NBA, and, like, he still probably would have been a better fit in that rotation than some of the guys that they actually signed. Which is very depressing. Yeah, he's not an <laughs> NBA player anymore. As much as I was just, like, a, you know, I, I love Sasha Vujicic. I think he's hilarious. I think he's, like, um, you know, he, he was one of my favorite Lakers to watch, like, when I was a fan of the team, just because, I, I don't know, he just cracked me up. Just, like, his, how confident he was, despite, like, the lack of resume necessarily, and, like, just the outspoken stuff that you'd hear from him. He was, like, the, he was not the prototypical, irrational confidence guy. Like, he wasn't what you'd expect to see that from, but he was. He was was that guy that was like massively so but even still he's not an nba player anymore but like the roster that they signed around lebron was like so like such a bad fit in a lot of ways that you know he still would have been more helpful we'll, we'll get onto this part towards the end of the show but my biggest thing is they need to get regardless of what happens with the marquee free agents they need to get the margins right this summer Yep, that's absolutely. That that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest test for this front office is can they do the things on the margins? Because they, you know, they signed the star, and you could say that that wasn't them. You can say that LeBron was coming regardless. But either way, it goes on their resume. They were here when it happened. Um, but they have to get the other stuff right, regardless of if they sign another star. Like they need to, uh, they need to build a more competent roster around LeBron. Well, my my biggest thing is. They got one thing right in the trade deadline. In all the chaos of trading the zoo for a guy that the Clippers were going to cut anyway, Reggie Bullock was a really good pickup. 
in my opinion, anyway. And these guys, he I'd seemed like, like he was in theory, and then it just didn't work. But I wonder how much of that was Luke's offense and not generating the types of shots that Reggie Bullock was used to. It, it wasn't great, but I, I don't want to blame it on Reggie because no, apart from the G League guys who came up towards the last couple of weeks, I don't think anyone was in that stretch from after the trade deadline to the end of the season. I don't think anyone was, you know, just out there going, "I'm I'm amazing. Give me twenty five million. Apart no, from that, KCP, that, that's absolutely fair, too. Apart from KCP, because as soon as we got eliminated from them playoffs, he started no, looking like a mini LeBron. Yeah, he turned into Kobe, like, as soon as, uh, yeah. It, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. So, I agree with you. I think Tyler would be the best option. But, you know, like a Joanne Howard, I, I, you don't know what he's going to do. But by all accounts, he, he's been the defensive coordinator for the Heat for a while now, hasn't he? Yeah, and they've been they've been pretty good at uh, on defense. Like, I mean, some of that is Spo because he they've consistently had good defenses, even when Jawan Howard was a player. So some of that is like trickling down from him. But you know, hey, if he's coming up with the defensive game plans every day and they're still having success, even if Eric Spolstra is tweaking it or working with him on them, like he deserves credit for that. And the, my biggest thing is he knows LeBron as well. It's another thing that he's he, he might have not constructed. A LeBron offense or you know got, had the right spacing and stuff like that for a LeBron offense he's been around it enough that he's seen it he knows how it works I know it was with the heat tools and they had Wade and Bosch he'd still be able to find still be able to utilize people like a uh, Kyle Korver I know Kyle Korver wouldn't be they, like they still had shooting. of that ilk exactly yeah. exactly and that would be an interesting one as well Monty the only way Monty makes sense for me is because from all accounts from what I've read him and Anthony Davis have a really good relationship, and if you're yeah, but like, going... how much? Yeah, I don't know. There was that report that Monty Davis, that sorry, not Monty Davis, uh, Anthony Davis would have been fine to play for Luke this season. So, like, how much does the coach matter? Anthony Davis seems like he's a pretty easygoing guy for the most part. Like, I feel like he's the type of guy that he'd give whatever coach a shot. Like, he he doesn't seem like he's gonna come in and be like, oh, you guys didn't hire Monty Williams. I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't believe that. Well, my, my biggest thing is, though, I don't believe it either. But would Jeannie Buss believe it? Would the other front office? That's I what we don't a, know. I can make a case that they would believe that. I don't want them to, but I can make a case that they do believe that if they want Anthony Davis, they need to bring in a person like Monty Williams, who he already has a relationship with, to make it even more, you know, attractive to him. But, you yeah. know. I, I hope it's Tyloo or Joanne Howard, but I think it will end up being Monty Williams. I don't know about you. That's just it, a good thing. There was the report that he was the front runner, and nothing, has, not that much has changed since then, other than that, you know, the them saying that Tyron Lou really impressed them yesterday. But how much of that is just them saying that so that, like, it sounds like they have a plan in place if Monty Williams rejects them? You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And they can make it look like it was their first choice and they weren't going to pick him anyway. The biggest compliment I can give him on this head coaching search is A, it's been quite thorough. I know they interviewed Jason Kidd, but at least they're interviewing people. And B, Joey and Jesse Buss have been involved, which is very positive because they would seem to be a step in the right direction. Yeah. And if, if that means that if even if Polinka stays, which I have no doubt that he is now, and Rambis gets a role. If they promote Joey and Jesse and they give people like Ryan West a bigger say in the organization, that might not be such a bad thing in the long run anyway. Yeah, it's possible that that works out. And so, but if that's the plan, you know, put that out there. 
like uh, like calm fans down let them know that that's the plan and so the fact that they haven't done that you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna jump out here and make that case for them until they do it because it's like i I don't want to lie to people you know what i mean like i don't want to give people false hope you know, absolutely. And, you know, it's just, we're, we're like us, we're speculating at the moment. It's not like, yeah, you know, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to put out a press to put out a 200 word press release announcing that that's your plan. Like you don't say it in those words. You say like, you know, Ryan West has been elevated to whatever. And Jesse Buss is going to be handling da da da. Like you just outline their roles and then people can know that this is your plan. But if you're not or or at least leak it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but exactly. if you're not going to do either of those things and you're just going to leave people to guess, this is why fans are upset. And it's why there's so much dysfunction reigning as well. No one has any yeah, or idea. Why what's there's going. this perception of dysfunction? Maybe there isn't dysfunction, but that's like people aren't. It can't help but have that perception when it's at, when they're getting a million different, uh, you know, uh, speculations on what is going on. Like you have to give the fans something to believe in. No, absolutely. And going on to the next topic now, especially talking about Joey and Jesse Bus. I know you didn't. Say, you know, we're not going to touch on it that much, but the, the draft is coming up as as is the draft lottery. And most likely, we will stay at the number 11 pick. So, yeah. you obviously watched a bit of college basketball this year. Who would you like the Lakers to pick at that spot? I honestly have not watched very much college basketball this year outside outside of Cal State Fullerton. And, you know, as much as I like some of their players, I feel like a number <laughs> 11 would probably be a reach. Um, uh, so... I can't really say with any, you know, I don't, I don't want to lie to people and make that, you know, and say that I have this great idea of who they're going to pick at number 11. I also don't have a great, a whole lot of faith that they're going to actually keep that pick. I think they're going to use it uh, in a trade for somebody a little bit more proven that can help right now. And so I'm not going to sit here and watch, you know, 50 hours of tape on guys and figure out who they're like to try and figure out who they're going to pick when they're probably going to trade it anyway. And I can just react when they pick and go and do some research on that one guy. So like for me, I I don't know. I haven't looked too much into it yet. And also part of that is a product of how many other things there have been to deal with, with this team since the season ended. So I'm not the most informed guy on that, but like the the most informed I am is that I I just don't think that they'll keep it. Well, I I think well, a, a possible scenario is they get into touch with David Griffin, they draft whoever the Pelicans want them to draft, and then they see how they fare in free agency, and then they can take it from there. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I think that, I, that's not a bad guess. I, I, I definitely think that those conversations will be had. And now that they, uh, it's taken my faith of trading for Anthony Davis from not at all to maybe it can happen with David Griffin, because at least... We know that David Griffin is a smart enough NBA executive that he won't won't turn down any offer for no reason. He'll look at everything and decide what's genuinely the best thing for his franchise. Yep. You know, and moving on from there, obviously we have touched on the marquee free agents and whether they'd come to LA or not. What's the vibe you're getting? Because I haven't got a good vibe. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't think that there's I don't think that everyone should lose hope immediately. I think that there I got to be really careful how I say this. I, I think that there is I, I think that Kawhi Leonard is a possibility still. I don't I would not rule him out yet. Um, but 
outside of that, I don't think that there's a great reason for optimism. Like that uh, any of these other like tier A guys, like, you know, your Kevin Durant, your Kyrie Irving, whatever are coming. I think that the wins would seem to predict them both heading to New York for one of those franchises. Um, I do think that Kemba Walker is an increasingly interesting name to me, not for like on court reasons or for whatever, or for anything that from anything that I've even heard. But if you just look at what has happened over the last little while, like, and you try to make, you always are trying to make these connections between like which agents represent who and this kind of stuff, because sometimes that stuff does come into play where you have a good working relationship with an agent and you end up signing one of their guys, or you're able to have an in with one of their guys. And so the Lakers, uh, you know, they, the agency that represents Brandon Ingram and Tyson Chandler, uh, but last season, it, who the Lakers very much seemed to have a beat on right away uh, as soon as he became available. Uh, and so I'm sure some of that was LeBron. But, you know, the agency that represents both of those guys is also the agency that represents Kemba Walker and is also the agency that represents on the coaching side of their representation, Jason Kidd. And so the fact that Jason Kidd got an interview, despite leaks that he was not a real candidate, to kind of, you know, I, I don't know that this is why they did it. But it, there, one possible read of that is that they were doing a favor for the agency to keep Jason Kidd's name out there in headlines as a legitimate coaching candidate so that, you know, he would stay in the news and stay, you know, on people's radars. It's like, oh, other teams are interested in this guy, so maybe we should go after him. Um, so I read that as possibly being because of that. And then, you know, if you're looking into why do you do favors so that you can get things in return later and that obviously Kemba Walker would not sign with the Lakers because they interviewed Jason Kidd. That's not how this stuff works. But maybe, you know, you have a better relationship with his agent because of something like that. And you're able to get in the room with him and you're getting the agent saying nice things about you as an organization to Kemba Walker. And maybe you end up getting him for that. Like, again, this is all speculating, but reading the tea leaves like and what we know is out there. I think that that's one possible read on all of that. It works with Rich. It worked with Rich and KCP. Yeah, it's true that we've already seen the Lakers try the strategy with uh, with. Contavious Mana from Heaven, Well Pope. <laughs> he he was the bread. He was the bread. You yeah, know. he was the bread. He he came down from heaven to save you know to save the Lakers, uh, and and completely at the same time turn into mini Mamba whenever we decided we weren't going to make the playoffs anymore. I mean, KCP, yeah. what a yep. wild ride this guy was. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is a roller coaster. Uh, the the biggest thing. I also believe that it's either Kawhi or Bust when it comes to them tier A guys. But like yeah. you said, Kemba Walker, it's not a bad consolation prize. Yeah, Kemba Walker is like, that's not going to turn you into a title contender instantly, but it makes you interesting. And, you know, you're, you're at least a team that, especially if the Warriors lose KD, you're a team that's a threat. You're not the favorite, but you're a threat with Kemba Walker and LeBron. And, you know, especially with how good of a shooter Kemba Walker has become over the last several years, which is like one of the most it's one of the underrated storylines in the league because Charlotte has not been competent or well run. And, you know, they've kind of wasted it. But Kemba Walker turning into like diet Steph Curry over the last couple of years is like, you know, that like he's good. 
And, like, if the Lakers could sign him and they could get, you know, like, uh, you know, they still have LeBron and they still have the young guys and maybe they make a trade for another star. Like, you know, maybe it's not Anthony Davis. Maybe you make a trade for Bradley Beal or somebody like that. And all of a sudden, you have a pretty interesting team there. And even without making that trade, you have an interesting team and a team that's like a threat with another year of growth for these young guys. Again, it's not the favorite, but it's a team that you would definitely project to make the playoffs and maybe be able to make a little bit of noise when they get there. Like you said, if KD's not in the West, then as we were talking about before the podcast started, the Warriors do have a vulnerability about them. Yep. And if you take we're already away- seeing it. And if you take away their best player, I don't care what anyone says, KD is obviously their best player, then they become even more vulnerable. They might be better from a cohesive standpoint as a basketball team. Yeah, they might like each other more, but does that translate to a better team? That's not necessarily true, as the Shaq and Kobe Lakers would tell you. Exactly. So it's if we could if like if we could just get I feel like Kemba with a LeBron would be like a B plus version of Kyrie Irving, which is not a bad thing in the slightest. No, yeah, that's hey, that was a team that worked and made a lot of noise. Like, and they they even won a title together. So, if you can assemble something like that, then maybe you won't win a championship, but you you give yourself a shot to you know be interesting, and you finally give Lakers fans like an interesting and relevant team to root for past February. You know what I mean? Like, that's all that's all people want. Like, we saw it with the buy-in that Jamario Jones and Alex Caruso and Jonathan Williams and, like, how crazy people were and how much they loved those guys. Like, Lakers fans just want some, something to root for. They just want something fun and something that's, like, that works and is well-run. And, you know, it's, it's sad. I feel bad for them that, like, this front office has not been able to give that to them. Well, the mo- season I probably enjoyed the most in the past couple of years was the season so last year before LeBron came? Which yeah, was a really me fun too. Team to watch. It was the most fun that I've had covering this team too. It was, uh, you know, it was just like it was a good group of guys that were all really light. Nobody expected much of them, so the mood was lighter, um, and everybody just was having fun and I- exceeding the expectations for them heading into the year. And you know, they took some injuries at the end that ultimately deflated their win total, but that was a good team. And, you know, like they were fun to watch. And this year, you know, had its moments where we saw similar vibes from that. But it was never quite the same just because, you know, I I think that there was so much there were so there were so much higher expectations for what this team was going to be than just like overachiever. The biggest problem is as soon as you sign LeBron, even if you're not a title contender, which we weren't, you'll be perceived as such by everyone. And as soon as you get to that level of expectation, Lonzo Ball, what played for less than 50 games last year. Uh, B.I. obviously has had his issues. Kuzma's, what, now he's just finished his second year. It's not like we have, like, super grizzled vets on the team that are ready for this. None of these kids were ready. Not in the Byron Scott way where he's going to punch someone in the (laughs) nicest in the nicest way possible. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They, there were things that they needed to go through and learn. Which I think they'll be a lot better for now. And yeah. by all accounts, Lonzo's on the barbershop with LeBron. And they seem to have a really good relationship. And B.I. and Koo speak highly of LeBron. I mean, you're not going to not speak highly of him, but it's nice that they're saying these things out there because I feel like, especially following these guys, they won't be say they just have radio silence on the entire situation. Yep. Yep. And it is a nice thing that it seems like there is a lot of bonding, but yep. I also still have faith in, I, 
the only one I have for faith in is Kawhi Leonard, and I don't know how stupid that is or. Well, I think there's a chance. I, I, I'm not, I don't think that it's necessarily the likeliest outcome. Uh, I don't even know if I'm as confident in it as maybe the Lakers are, but I, I do think that there's a, a real chance. I think that he is a hard guy to read, and I think that the traditional newsbreakers, like, I, I don't know that they're necessarily, like, like, they aren't texting with Kawhi. Like, I don't know. Like, and so, like, how are you getting these ideas of, like, what his intentions are, what he's interested in? And so, you know, I, I, like, for me, I, I just think that he's harder to read, and maybe he really, really is this interested in the Clippers, but I, I think that, you know, you, you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt with him specifically because he just seems like he's a hard guy to know. Well, that's my biggest thing. The And basically, no one really has any idea what Kawhi Leonard wants to do. We all know he wanted to leave the Spurs. There were rumors that he wanted to come to the Lakers, but nothing that was... Nobody any- knows. Exactly, and yeah. it was just, I hope it comes true, and it seems like people are confident, but also the Clippers will be really tough to beat, yeah. especially in a pitch, because speaking about the Clippers, last night they were fantastic. I know they yeah. lost, and you know it's no shame losing to the, the past three, champ- the three championships in the past four years, and you know it's not like they lost to like a scrub team, but... They look. They were really fun to watch and really. No, and they have a lot of guys that. They have a lot of guys that if you were a star, you would look at them and be like, "I like that as my supporting cast." Well, I feel like what was it? A forty-eight win team. Yeah. You had Kawhi Leonard, who isn't. He he'll just get looks within the offense. He's he's that type of superstar where he'll just fit into the offense. You'll design plays for him, obviously. Scary team. It's a scary team. Very scary team. Yeah. Especially having Lou Will and Harrell off the bench and. Yep. Gilgis Alexander. But the worst thing is, in my my opinion anyway, we're not a, we're not that far away from the Clippers. And we no. have LeBron James. <laughs> yeah. No, I I think the Lakers, the Lakers Clippers thing, like you can't debate them this year because the Lakers had so many injuries. Like we don't know what this team would have been if they hadn't missed all of their significant players for significant chunks of the season. Like again, I'll do credit to the Clippers. I'm not trying to minimize what they've accomplished at all. Uh, I think that they had an incredible season and they deserve to puff their chests like they have been. I, I just think that it's hard to compare the two when we don't really know what this team would have been if LeBron hadn't torn his groin. Exactly, and my biggest thing with it all is it's what Jerry West said on the Dan Patrick show, if I remember correctly. It wasn't just that the injuries happened, they happened at the worst possible time whenever they did happen. Because LeBron's injury happens when we dominate the Warriors on Christmas Day. Lonzo's injury happens when he's dominating the Houston Rockets. They literally just tried to figure out how they just figured out how to play without LeBron and then LeBron and then Lonzo got hurt. Because that a few nights before was the uh, OKC game, yep, which yep. was tremendous. I think it was the night before. So Houston was Saturday, OKC was Thursday, if I remember. Oh, okay. So okay, so, it, it was in two days. It was in yeah, two yeah. days. For, you know, you had them two games, and I remember staying up for the first half and watching Lonzo just—he was killing him. Not yep, maybe yep. not from a scoring standpoint. But the way he was running the offense, defensively, he was leading everything. And then to see his ankle turn, I was like, oh, no. And while while LeBron is our best player, I also feel like Lonzo's probably our most valuable player when it comes to actual team contribution overall. He's fantastic. 
And it's a shame we didn't get to see him over a long stretch of time without LeBron James. No, actually, uh, Ali Bapornia for our um, for our website for Silver Screen and Roll just did like a video breakdown on our YouTube channel on why Lonzo looks set for a breakout this year. And, you know, just looking back at the games and how he was playing before he got hurt last year, like it, it was incredible to remember, like how just how good he was on both ends of the floor. And, you know, they really missed him once he went down. And I'm very curious to see if he's back. And if so, like how he plays this year because if him and bi are back at the level that they were at before they got injured that's too really really like bi was playing like an all-star and yeah. it's crazy how much potential there is within la and you just yeah. hope no. that you know we do some good luck we do some good luck yeah and you you just hope that the free agents to be notice that kind of stuff and i feel like i don't know it's, it's easy, you know, when you have these hot take guys like Stephen A. Smith and what have you who take over the airways and when they say that, you know, Julius Randle is a decent guy off the bench when he was like averaging 20 and 8 is always great, you know. Yeah. Well, it, you can tell because you have people then like Rachel Nichols who are amazing and Ramona Shelburne who... who say exactly the opposite types of things and well it's just the thing the thing for me is always like you can't be an expert on everything so if you're one of these generalized people that's supposed to talk about every single sport that's a skill set but you're you're going to get things wrong exactly and my biggest thing with that is when people take their words as gospel which everyone should just you know that's my biggest thing but i digress that can be a topic for another show at a later date um yeah, so let's just wrap up. I really want to thank you for coming onto the show, Harrison. I feel like it's been a great chat. I've really enjoyed this. You and Anthony Irwin in particular have been an inspiration of mine to get into this podcast thing. So I really want to thank you for coming onto the show. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. That's actually the second uh, podcast that I've went on this weekend that somebody has uh, has said that same thing. So that's really cool to hear. I'm, gl- I'm glad that you know, people have enjoyed some of the stuff that we've done. And, you know, uh, like you, you can listen to our podcast now. We're on the Silver Screen and Roll podcast. Just search Silver Screen and Roll in iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. And we host the Tuesday episodes of that feed. So, um, you know, it's been great podcasting with him again. And I, I'm, I'm, it's been awesome to just be back podcasting in general after leaving Locked on Lakers last year. Because, you know, it's like when I run into people in person and they like, you know, and they know me from something, it's almost never my writing. It's almost always the podcasting. And so I, um, I'm glad that, you know, we've been able to make it, I feel like it's a unique way to connect with people. And I'm glad that we've been able to, uh, you know, uh, do that for people like you. So that's really cool. No. And honestly, just a big shout out to silver screen and roll. You guys do tremendous work. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. The podcasts also are all fantastic. Locked on Lakers. I know you, you go on there from time to time now. You're not a contributor full time on there. Yeah, I just I don't get paid anymore. So that's like, you know, I'm just so I make you, Anthony buy me dinner now. Well, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Yeah, exactly. Better than nothing, you know, it's yeah. Hey, you know, like I, I just uh, like like now I get to hold it over his head and like and just like be like, hey, you know, it would, it would be a real shame if people were to hear that you were using that you were forcing volunteer labor to go on your podcast. You know, like exactly. you, should really, you should really buy me dinner tonight. I heard he threatened your fedora. That, yeah, exactly. That... See, he tried you that you heard it. It's on the air. He tra- he threatened to like burn some of my possessions. He threatened to throw them in the trash like, you know. I have, I have lots of blackmail to use against him eventually if I need to. 
Well, I, again, I just want to say a big thank you. Hopefully I can get you both on at once. You know, I feel like that would be a fantastic podcast at a later date as well. And yeah, so thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, to listening. Yeah, happy, for, happy to come on anytime. No, thank you. I really appreciate it, sir. Like I said, thank you to everyone for listening. I hope you're enjoying our, my podcast and we'll keep on bringing the great guests and we hope you continue listening. Thanks. Take care.